Well, good morning, church family. We uh, have been spending a couple weeks here and talking about, you know, what is the purpose? What is the, the role of the church? What is it that God has called us to do? And uh, again, my, my prayer is that you really get a sense of uh, what we are being asked of, that as followers of Christ, it's not to just simply sit back uh, and enjoy what will one day be the, the blessing of heaven, um, but to be able to enjoy the blessing of what it means to serve, to be the hands and the feet, to be the voice, to be the heart of God. And, um, you know, Penn Valley uh, is a church that wants to honor the Lord and wants to follow through with that. So we talked about in the beginning again how how the, the church is a called out group of people, right? We're, we're not a building of four walls, but we are a collective group of people that have been set apart for his purpose uh, to, to be the visible image of who God is in a broken and fallen world. He's called us to be holy, right? To, to be set apart from sin and to live our lives in a way that others would see Christ through us. We then got into the idea of being the pillar of truth, that we now live again in a, a culture where, you know, the, the Ten Commandments is not the norm or the standard for anyone. Quite frankly, society is always pushing God's truth aside. Uh, but we are called to hold to that, to hold to those morals and values, to hold to what the scripture says, uh, and that we do not change our viewpoint, uh, or I should say we do not change the the scriptures, but we change our viewpoints to conform to what the scriptures call us to be and to what the scriptures call us to do. We talked about fellowship, that we are collectively one, moving in a direction together, right? That we share life together. We share the joys and the victories, and we also share the hardships and the sorrows together as a church, uh, all moving for God's purpose and for his will. And then last week, Jason talked to us about what it means to be a part of the church. That again, we are all gifted uh, in a very unique way by the Spirit. And out of that gifting, right, we use that to build up the church, to be able to do his ministry collectively together. And again, some are ones that are up on stage and there are some that are behind the scenes and there are some that may seem small and insignificant, but in the eyes of God, Serving him is never small. And so as we continue to go through our message today in our sermon series, we're going to take another look at what the church is called to do. So we're going to be in Philippians 4, uh, and it's going to take a little bit of a unique kind of angle uh, and understanding what the church is supposed to be. But before we get to that, we have to do some legwork before we get to actually Philippians chapter 4. So where we need to start then today uh, is with the story of Paul. Paul's an apostle. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader uh, in the Jewish faith at the time. Uh, and this is, this is how Paul describes himself in Philippians 3. Uh, he says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul was on his way to religious stardom. Let's just say that for lack of better words. I mean, if anybody was, was a Jew of Jews, if anybody was a, a super Jew at the time, it was 
Paul. He put himself out there. He knew the truth. And anybody that stood against the truth, Paul was willing to persecute them and do what he believed was right. And then Paul has this moment with God, right? He's on the road to Damascus and he sees the bright light and he says, you know, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and he goes blind uh, and then he's taken to be with some believers. And then God calls him to a different life out of that. Uh, and so in the book of Acts, again, the, it's, the, it's the story of how the gospel is spread. Uh, and the first part of the book of Acts largely focuses on the apostle Peter uh, as he takes it through kind of uh, the, Jewish, the Jewish culture. And then in Acts 13, we transition from the story of Peter, and now we transition to the story of Paul, where again, he's taking the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, preaching it both to Jew and Gentile as he goes through. Now, there were three missionary journeys that Paul had in the book of Acts. Uh, the first one he takes with Barnabas, uh, and he, he has John Mark and he's got Luke. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Uh, and they travel throughout what we would say is Asia Minor or modern day Turkey. He comes back to Antioch. That's the church he was sent out of. Tells the people about what happens. And then he goes out on a second and he goes out on a third journey as well. And when he goes out uh, on the next ones, he takes with him Silas and Luke. This is where they meet Timothy again, who I often call his is his protege, if you will. Uh, they meet Timothy on their journey. Uh, they go into Macedonia and Greece. So they're venturing out a little bit further from the area of Israel. Uh, and they, they begin to, to preach the gospel and make disciples. And they begin to establish what it means to be the church. And he comes back to Antioch. He reports again. He goes back out on another missionary journey, hitting a lot of the same places before, continuing to strengthen the disciples as there are some issues and some problems that might have arisen. Uh, but he goes out and he preaches this again. And then he goes back to Jerusalem at this time. And there he gets arrested and he gets taken to prison into Rome. And then again, after several years, he's released. And then a lot of people would say he really had a fourth missionary journey. Journey, that he continued to minister to that area uh, of Macedonia and Greece and, and Asia Minor uh, and then being arrested again and then eventually Paul losing his life. Okay, so he's, he's on these missionary journeys and, and each time he goes, he's got this team of people with him. Uh, and what are they doing? They're, they're going to the areas that most people have gathered. They're going into the synagogues. They're, they're preaching the word of God. They're telling about faith in Christ Jesus is the only way. Preaching about his, his sinless nature, that Christ is God, that he gave his life on the cross, and that when he gives his life, it's that shedding of the blood that we would receive forgiveness of sins. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a heart that is transformed, and we begin to live our lives for Christ until one day he will return or we will be with him in heaven. And so this is what they do. They go around and they're preaching all kinds of, uh, of, of gospel messages. But why does Paul do this? Why is it that Paul, who was once persecuting Christians, who, who was out for blood against them, now becomes this man that decides to do the very thing he was persecuting people for? Well, this is where we have to go back to Acts chapter 9 really quick. In Acts chapter 9, 15, here's what it says, right? Uh, he, he says to Paul, he says, he says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and before the people of Israel. 
Paul was given a new mission. And that mission from God was to say, look, you, you need to go, Paul. You need to go out into the world and carry my name before everyone. And I'm going to put you before kings and before religious leaders, rich and poor, man and woman. I'm going to put you before everybody that is out there, Paul. And your job, Paul, is to proclaim my name. And, and, and a lot of times as Christians, right, this is, this is what we think. We go, yes, Paul is the missionary, right? The missionary is the person that we send overseas to these unreached countries and to, you know, these, these horrible places and these poverty-stricken places. These are the missionaries. These are the people that have been called by God to go forward and go preach that message over there. Now, in some regards, that's, that's true, because that's what Paul was doing. Paul was a missionary. Now, if we go into the Bible, you actually won't find the word missionary. That's actually the Latin word, missionium, uh, which means to uh, send or the act of sending. And the word apostle is the Greek word, which means sent one. So when we talk about the apostle Paul, that's literally what we're saying. Paul was the sent one to do what? To carry God's name to all of the Gentiles and the Jews all over the world. That, that's what he was called to do. But we have to understand that, again, when we think of the word missionary, we hear that term, right? As I just said, again, it's that idea that we're, we're sending people overseas. But we all have that responsibility, right? I, I may not be a missionary in the traditional sense, but that does not exclude me from doing what Paul was also called to do. Let me give you, let me give you a couple verses here. Uh, after Christ was crucified and he was resurrected, again, he, he walks this, this earth for another 40 days. He, he shows himself to many of his disciples. And then he gets taken up and he sends into heaven. And the last two things that we have in Scripture are recorded... For us. And again, I want us to think about here what it is that Jesus leaves his disciples with. So let me give you these two passages. So Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we have this one in Acts. But you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said this, he was taken before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from, their, from his sight. These were Jesus' final words that we have recorded. He could have said anything. Jesus could have said anything to his disciples in those last moments. He could have said to his disciples, guys, I want you to love each other. He could have said to each other, he said, guys, worship me. He could have said, be kind, rewind. He could have said a million different things. But this is what Jesus told his disciples with his last words on this physical earth. So clearly that has to have some importance and some significance for us then, doesn't it? Clearly, as disciples and followers of Christ, if somebody was lying on their deathbed and had said to me, Adam, this is what I need 
then I need to take that seriously. And so as the church, again, we're called to be different. We're called to proclaim the glories of Christ, are we not? And when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he's trying to get these Jews and Gentiles to understand what it means to be a church now, like, like you guys were two different people who didn't like each other, but, but now you're supposed to be one in Christ. And he's walking them through what that looks like. He then comes to chapter three. And here's what he tells the church in Ephesus. He says, although I am the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities into the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was through the church, through the church. Who is the church? We who believe in Christ are the church. It was our job now. This was God's part of God's plan from the very beginning. He, he said, people are going to mess up and they're going to sin. And I'm going to save a, I'm going to send a savior by the name of Jesus Christ and he's going to die for them. And that is, as people begin to understand who Christ is and they mold themselves into this thing called the church, it's going to be their job to go out into the world wherever it is that they go and they will be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was God's plan. And so as a church, each and every one of us is an apostle. Each and every one of us is a missionary. Some of you might end up in the frozen tundra of Siberia. The barren wasteland of the Sahara Desert or the dense jungles of the Amazon forest. Some of you may end up there. Some of us won't. Some of you may be missionaries right across the street to your neighbor. Some of you are going to be missionaries to the guy in the park. Some of you are going to be missionaries to the lonely, to the hurting. But the point is, is we're all called to that. We, we can't have the excuse that says, but, but Adam, I'm not an evangelist. That's somebody else's job. No, it's the church's job. And if you're going to follow Christ, you're part of the church. So therefore, it is your job. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people that God lays a passion and a heart on. But each and every one of us is called to this responsibility. Now, some of you might remember Dave and Audrey Harding. They uh, were long, long time members here. We, we dearly miss them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're watching right now. But they moved down to Virginia uh, but they periodically will send an email, which I am so grateful to have. But this is the last one that I got from Dave. And I thought, how fitting is this? And, and by the way, they still consider Penn Valley their home church. Just so you know, that's how much they love you guys. Dave said this. He said, we feel that we are Penn Valley's missionaries to the villas at Rose Hill. 
We've been constantly meeting people in our community by taking walks most days and stopping to talk to folks we come across on our walks. We spent time talking to the people at the pool, clubhouse, and attending the community events. We have game night with two couples every week. We've been building relationships with them as well as others. I've been praying about the possibility of hosting a Bible study at our house. Some of our neighbors do not go to church, but have questions about the way our country and our world is going. One man said, I need that and will come if you start a Bible study. The people that we play games with want to come, as well as two other Christian couples who are also interested. Last Monday night, and this was September 18th, we began our first Bible study using David Jeremiah and Robert Jeffries' DVDs on the end times and called What in the World is Going On? There were eight of us at the first meeting, and it went really well. There were three more that weren't able to be there, but wanted to come this Monday at 7. And if everyone comes, that will be 11 people, which is about max for our living room. We feel God has a work for us to do here in our community. Do you think they went down to Virginia going, I can't be a missionary, Adam. I can't do the work. What did they do? They played games with people. They talked to people. They heard the hearts of people. They heard the fears of people. And they said, I have a solution to that. Because that's, that's what it means to be a missionary. That's what it means to be an apostle, to follow Christ. To have hearts that are ready at every moment to preach the truth to those who need it. And that's the heart of this church. Now, all of that was said to now set up Philippians 4. Okay, some of you might have been wondering, when are we going to finally get to this passage? So Philippians 4, I'm going to start in verse 10 here, but Paul is on his second missionary journey. He stops at Philippi, he establishes a church, uh, and about 10 years earlier, uh, this was all about 10 years earlier, now he's imprisoned, uh, and he's writing a letter back to them. So they've heard about his circumstance, about being in jail, and they actually send this guy by the name of Epaphroditus to go to Paul to bring him some support, to help comfort and care for him while he's in prison. And Epaphroditus stays there for a while, but he gets sick, and he feels bad, and he's like, I don't want you to stay here. I'm sure people are worried about you. So he says, here, Epaphroditus, I want you to go back to Philippi, and I want you to take this letter with you and read it to the church there, because I want to be thanking them for what they have done for me. Okay, so here we go. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have not had opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do everything from him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, which I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again for when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received the full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So he writes this letter back and he's thanking them for the gift that they've provided to him. And he starts there in the beginning. He says, let me just acknowledge something again here. He says, I'm rejoicing over this. And he says, I know you've renewed your concern for me. He says, I get it. Something has happened that you haven't been able to support me. And he says, I'm not holding that against you. I'm just glad that you chose to give me something. Okay, so I'm not faulting you for not being able to do what you weren't able to do before. And then he goes on to express, he says, how much he appreciates this gift. But he says, I need you to understand something here. He says, I've, I've learned contentment in this time. I've learned what it means to be in one, and I've learned what it means to have plenty. Right? I, I, I've learned that through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter how bad things are, life is always okay. I want you to realize that, guys, that, that I haven't been, been in dire situations. Christ has gotten me through because the greatest thing that I have is this eternal security of my salvation. So I, I just want you to realize that. But then he, he comes back to that, though, and he says, look, he says, though, I, trust me, I greatly appreciate this. He says, you don't understand how much this actually means that you would go out of your way, send this man and these gifts to me. He says, because what your, your gift was, was really, really important. And it's not just that it was a blessing to him, but he lays out there's really two other blessings that he shares with the Philippians. He says, first, again, remember, when I was on my, my journey, he said, you guys supported me. You were, matter of fact, you were the only church that actually supported me in my missionary endeavors. He said, even when I was at Thessalonica, even when I was there, and I was ministering to these people. These people didn't provide for me. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, Surely remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel. Paul was literally like, look, when I was in Thessalonica, I was doing ministry work and I was working at the same time. But you guys supplied for me. You were the only church that gave to me. And then when he's writing to the church in, in Corinth, Corinth, again, has, has got all of these problems, the Corinthians, and he's trying to help them understand. And he's trying to help them realize, remember, Corinthians, you, you guys wanted to give. Remember, you guys wanted to support some of these people. But he said, you know what? You never really kind of came through on that. You never really fulfilled that obligation. And he's trying to encourage them by telling them about what the, the church of Philippi had done. He says, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord... And then by the will of God, us as well. He said, look, you guys didn't have a lot. You guys, you guys really, really of all people, you probably should not have been giving. But you pleaded to be able to do so. 
And because of that, you found a way to give when you weren't able to give. And what Paul is saying then, he says, look, more, more importantly here, I, I want this. I want this to be credited to you. It's like he's going to God and he's saying, God, did you just see what they did? God, you got to bless them. They had nothing. They had nothing, God. And they gave. They gave for you. They gave to me. Lord, please, please, in return, would you just bless these people? That's how Paul is, is acknowledging what is going on here. And he goes on and he says, guys, your, your blessing, it was like a fragrant offering to the Lord. That, that goes back to when they would make the sacrifices in the, te in the temple and they would, they would sacrifice these animals and they would burn incense. And, and it talks about how it was this pleasing aroma, this smell, this, this sacrifice as if it would just be lifted up to God and God would accept that sacrifice as a temporary covering for the atonement of our sins. He says, your giving is on that kind of level. Do you understand? That when you give from a heart that wants to honor the Lord, he takes what you give and he is pleased by that. And he says, look guys, God's able to meet your needs. He says, I know you couldn't give, but guess what? God provides. God provided for me when I needed it. And God will provide for you guys when you need it as well. Because God is a giver. And so let me just kind of put these two parts together. Again, what is the vision of this church? Here's what we want to accomplish. Empower a multiplying movement of gospel-centered, disciple-making, established churches in our community and the rest of the world. Our heart's desire is to share the gospel, to see people come to know the gospel, to grow in the understanding of who Jesus Christ is, to see lives transformed, to, to brokenness being healed, to being the, the, the pain and the burden of sin, the slavery to sin be broken, to find freedom in Jesus Christ. And that as those people do that, that those people would go forward into their communities, into their neighborhoods and into their workplaces with their friends and their family, further sharing that gospel. And that people who don't know Jesus Christ would then come to know Jesus Christ. And that process would happen again and again and again. And that the walls of this church would not be able to contain the individual people in here because people would be fighting over seats that we'd have to tell some of you, you're going to have to leave and go start a church somewhere else. Why well, I don't want to go, Adam. Some of you are going to have to go because there are other people in this world that need to hear the gospel. Not everybody lives within a 10, 15 minute radius of Penn Valley Church. Because there is a joy in knowing Jesus Christ. And we want everyone else to know what that joy is. And I get it, guys. We can do missions anywhere with whatever we have. Right? Isn't that what Paul just said? I, I can do, I can do in one. I can still share the gospel when I'm in one. But I want us to understand 
the critical nature of giving to the mission of this church. That the giving of the mission is a critical aspect in moving it forward. You know, in, in verse 14, he uses the word share. He says, it was good for you to share in my troubles. It's a very similar word to the word fellowship. And we talked about that two weeks ago, that word kononia, right? This, this deep-seated relationship together. But when he uses this word share here, it also implies the idea that we are doing this together, that we are moving in the right direction together. So, so what he's saying is, he says, look, when I came to do missions somewhere else, Church of Philippi, you, you, you Philippians, it was literally like you were doing it with me by what you gave. That your willingness to provide for my missionary work was literally you doing the missionary work yourself. That's what that word share means. And then in verse 10, I love how he uses that word. He says, you have renewed your concern. It's a horticultural word, right? They're a big farming community. It's the idea that a flower or a plant would blossom again. And again, he was saying, for some reason, you couldn't give. But all of a sudden, you had the ability to do it again. And it was this blossoming gift that gave. And he says, when you guys give, it is a life-giving act. When you give to the church, it is a life-giving act. And I want you to experience that joy of what that means and what that looks like. 2 Corinthians tells us, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as a church, we're called to share the gospel. But as a church, we're also called to give to this community. We're called to give to the mission of God. And I know a lot of times talking finances and tithings and offerings is kind of the awkward social taboo. But if we're going to be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, we can't ignore that fact. Because this is a call to each and every one of us as well. Because the reality is that when you guys give, your giving blesses, blessing blesses others. And when you give and you realize that, that your blessing is to others, it's a blessing to ourselves as well. That's what Paul is trying to tell them. And so I'm not going to sit here and preach prosperity gospel. I'm not going to say that if you give to the church, God is automatically going to tenfold put that back into your bank account. I do not believe that is scriptural. Can God do that? Oh, absolutely. God can do whatever he wants. But I think the bigger picture is that we need to realize when we give, what we're really communicating is our dependency upon God. What we're saying is, God, this is what you've given to me and you've asked me to steward it and you've provided for my needs. And I want to be able to give back the way that you've given to me, God. There is blessing in giving. 
But if we are holding on tightly to our finances, that doesn't honor God. It only points us to where we really put our trust and our faith. And so what I want you to think about is this. As an individual, as a couple, as a family. Where are you at with your giving to the church? Because I want this to be a joy for you. I want this to be a blessing. I want this to be a renewed flowering in your life. And here's what I would love to see for you. I would love to see giving be a normal part of your life. That you would make it a routine. Not a, oh no, I forgot to do it. I haven't you know, sent in an offering check for three months. I should probably just write a big one. I would rather see you give a small donation in whatever way you want to do it that regularly brings you to the feet of God and says, here you go, God, here is my offering. Than to make a one-time lump sum giant donation because you feel guilty. I would rather your giving be a constant reflection of your relationship and our dependency and his provision in our lives than just an act of make us feel good about ourselves. So right now, some of you may be feeling that tension, that struggle. Some of it may be, Adam, I do not have a lot to give. That's what the Church of Philippi said as well, and they did. And so if you don't have a lot to give, I do not want to bankrupt you. That is not my desire. That is not God's desire. So maybe the only thing you can give to this church is $10 every other week. But if that is done from a heart to honor him, then God takes that. For some of you, maybe this God speaking into your life and saying, I need to break that hold on you. You've yet to fully release to me everything that I've given you. And maybe for some of you, this is just confirmation of what you've already been doing. And be encouraged by that. I want this church to be able to live in abundance. And I want this church to be able to live in want. Because in times of want, it really pushes us to trust in God. And in times of abundance, it allows us to be able to share with others the gift of God. But this church was called to give. We've been called to a mission. We've been called to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world. And the reason why we do that is because Christ gave his life for us on the cross. So if we are sitting here thinking, I can't do it, God. Just remember, when he went to the cross and he looked out, he said, Father, forgive them. Because he loved us. So it is our mission to give and understand that, guys, when you give to this church, your giving is also missional. You may not be bar or going over to Africa or to Ukraine. But when you give, it is like we are with Barb. When you give, guys, it's like we're down there with Dave and Audrey. My desire is 
The more that we give, the more we will be able to give back. And we will be able to see the fruits and the blessings of not an enlarged bank account and not a a pretty looking building. No, what we'll be able to see is testimony of men and women who said, I was lost, but now I'm found. Let's pray. God, we thank you first and foremost. You gave to our greatest need, which is for our sins. You gave to us by the shedding of your blood. That is what you paid on the cross. That's what it cost to redeem us, Father. We are so grateful for that. And God, we know that from your scriptures, you tell us that uh, we're worth more than a sparrow, that you will provide for our needs. There's a big difference between wants and needs, Father, and um, what this world needs is it needs you. It doesn't need a bigger house. It, It doesn't need a bigger, fancier car. It doesn't need all of our lavish vacations. And God, those are blessings when you give them to us. Those are not wrong. But if that's what our world is consumed with, if that's what our hearts are consumed with, that is wrong. So Lord, I pray for one, for conviction. Let us, look at, let us look at what we do with what we have. And Lord, I pray for blessing. I pray for each and every person that has given and will give to this church. God, that they would, they would experience the blessing of what it is. And some of those people, Lord, it may be a financial blessing in return. Some of those people, Lord, it may be seeing the smiles and the joys on a little child's face. It may be the tears of a Uh, of an older woman whose house has been destroyed. A man that can't pay for a a car repair. Lord, I, I pray that we would hear testimony of the power of Jesus Christ through the work of Penn Valley Church. So let us open our hands, hoping to you freely. Let us be willing to give these offerings to you so that way we may be able to please you, Father. Because as I've already said, there is no greater joy than knowing the gift of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Let that be the work of this church. Amen.